Welcome to the Truth Lover webinar and podcast. This is Will Pye and a presentation of the Love and Truth Party. Love and Truth Party is a self-organizing, self-replicating community and movement of love and awakening, a wisdom school facilitating and celebrating the true nature of the human being. We exist to empower the deep realization and integration of unitive consciousness of one human being and to inspire action in the world from this place as new earth ninjas we do so in the spirit of play holding the paradox that all is well even and including all collective crises whilst simultaneously being moved to act to lessen suffering and serve the creation of conscious culture and society our projects include distributing a million love letters from the universe inviting people to receive love and the care in these and within the happiness hacks and other resources found on loveandtruthparty.org. We're joined today by the wonderful Georgie Johnson. Georgie, it's wonderful to have you here. And if I can just introduce you to our viewers, Georgie is a, a spiritual teacher, therapist, and writer based in Israel. Together with her partner, Bart Tenberg, she gives trainings around the world. She also offers therapy consultation sessions online. Uh, born in the UK, Georgie is author of now three books. The most recent is Non-Dual Therapy, The Psychology of Awakening. Previous titles include I Am Here, Opening the Windows of Life and Beauty, and The Stillness of the Wind, a collection of non-dual poetry. Georgie is part of the International School of Spiritual Psychology based in the Netherlands and an early participant in the emerging Love and Truth Party and is often the inspiration behind the I Am Here movement of awakening in the online community. Georgie, it's wonderful to have you here with us today. As you note, there are founding member really of Love and Truth Party, so it feels especially appropriate to have you on The Truth Lover today. It's a pleasure, Will. And your third book, uh, Non-Dual Therapy. So this seems to be a great topic to explore, uh, a topic mm -hmm. of infinite depth and breadth. And I, I wanted to bring something up because I think for many people who hear the terms non-dual therapy, this might bring up some confusions and some uncertainty because if there's non-dual, if there's no self, then who would be doing therapy or how would therapy be working? So I wonder if we can start there. Can you help us get a bit of a, a sense of what, what non-dual therapy is? Yeah. So I, th I think it was Adyashanti that first said that uh, where something along the lines, I can't remember exactly, it's in the book, uh, that when a therapist and client disappear, healing is happening. Mm. Uh, so, so we have the structure, we have the roles being played, but there's something that's happening from the non-duality or from the oneness that's that's a, a deeper level of healing perhaps than in a conventional. The oneness is moving through both the therapist and the client, and the oneness doesn't see separation. Mm -hmm. it, sees, it sees differentiation, but it sees a pool of human shit, basically, and it moves through both the client and the therapist simultaneously. Uh, what's happening uh, in, in intention is that the therapist is putting their own uh, agendas purposefully out the way in order to be of service to the process of the other. But still, it's my experience that both in the law of attraction of which clients are attracted to which therapists and uh, how the process goes, that there's a healing impact in all directions, mm. which is beautiful. 
Yeah, it's uh, in my experience also the case that that receiving of coaching or therapy, however we describe it, is uh, or, or the the receiving of teaching. So there's this uh, extraordinary abundance of insight and integration that's happening with both uh, client and, and and therapist. Yeah, let me give an example. So sometimes you know people have a breakthrough sometimes. And then they'll be so grateful and they'll say, I'm so grateful to you, Georgie. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. And I feel myself go, kvitch, like, ah, (laughs) you know, run for China, (laughs) you know, Uh, which shows me that something is not entirely relaxed about receiving gratitude, Mm -hmm. which is different from showing it. There's something helpless in receiving it. So uh, we're all learning still and evolving all the time. And that doesn't mean that uh, we're all all, uh, not okay. Mm-hmm. It just means we're not separate and we all carry uh, a certain psychological forms mm-hmm. which we inherit and from our environment and from our ancestors and uh, part of our job here is to let those unfold through us it's like it's what you know it's almost like we're born and you know we say to the universe okay what have you got for me i've got this body i've got these eyes i've got these legs i'm female or male i've got this psychology i've got these traumas from my ancestors you know these parents and there's there's an interesting piece there that you bring up so when someone has that breakthrough so when oneness when awareness when being has facilitated this experience which you both no doubt benefited from i'm sure it was uh, whatever the nature of the breakthrough whether it was sort of deeply relevant to your personal process it's a joy and it's an expansion to always uh, always a joy Right. And then someone says to, you know, thank you for, 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 for giving me that or facilitating that. And there's, yes. a, there's kind of a truth that, you know, you're sitting there, you're involved, the, Georgie was uh, a player in the game. And yet, is part, I, I sense there's like two aspects to the clenching. One is that it's missing the wider point that there's uh, a facilitation happening here beyond you or a facilitator beyond yourself. But it also sounds like there's something that's opening in you to receive that. Yes, exactly. That's why why I smiled when you said about uh, uh, the love letters of the Love and Truth Party, that it's uh, giving people the chance to receive love. And I smiled partly because it's so much easier to give love than to receive it sometimes. Receiving love and allowing that you're loved is... uh, can be extremely vulnerable because it touches all of the places where we still feel that we're not lovable. Right. And I know that you're a mother. I know that in my experience working with people, that's, I mean, I think it's true period of people that generally it's, but I think particularly in spiritual circles, there's a, 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 a conditioning to be loving, to be kind, to give, to look after others that's multiplied and accentuated with mothers. Um, and then there's a, a process of learning to, to, to receive that same love that we may be more inclined to, to give. How has that been for you in, in, in that dance as a, as a therapist and, and, and working with people where if, if I, I mean, I, I would language it and maybe you would have a different way that part of that movement of oneness is, is, is a movement of love. The movement of the awareness is there's, there's a quality of love to it. So how, how, does, how, how has that unfolded for you to open to receiving love? Yeah, it's, uh, it's like 
You mean when I'm actually giving sessions or in, in yeah, general? Or, or, or in general, yeah. So, um, the re we, it's not just mothers. Our whole culture is conditioned to be active and not receptive. And mm. to be active in the sense that uh, we control mm. our destiny through our free choice from the mind. And out of this comes the belief that we can control what we think and feel. And if we uh, uh, feel bad, we've somehow failed. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we're very, very controlling. And uh, we believe we can control love. And we want it on our conditions. And our conditions are often uh, places in our psychology, in our psyche, which are blocked, uh, which aren't yet free. And so when love touches it, they literally scream with whatever their theme is, whether it's with shame or fear of intimacy or maybe pure trauma of uh, being violated. Uh, there is a, a big confusion. You know, if, if love from a parent has been confused with some kind of abuse, then uh, love can mean abuse or manipulation or being diminished. So uh, it can be even received as a threat. So there's so, a definition of love, usually unconscious or held in the body in some way that might be a, a very strong block from actually experiencing love or receiving love. Yeah, and of course the first way that block shows itself is you think that you're receiving love from another person towards your person. There's a misconception around what love is. Mm -hmm. But so it's very, somehow personal. Right. So the, the, the and, and limited. You know, you've only got so much to give, and then you run out. You know? Right. And, and measurable that uh, you know, Jim down the lane can get more love than Jackie up the hill. <laughs> and, and conditional. It'll come yes. to an end if the relationship ends, or if I don't. Or if, they, or if you're truly seen as being the bad person that you secretly are. Right. So if we, we reveal all our ugliness, all yes. our shame, our pains, our discomforts, or whatever, then, then surely we can't be loved. Exactly. So we. So so. How can we just open up to love without keeping a check on it and keeping those uh, mental threat detectors, you know, alert that we shouldn't really be seen? And then, of course, the, the complaint is that my lover doesn't see me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It, it does feel like receiving a large part of receiving is is revealing to yeah. to, re to receive we have to be open. willing to reveal to open yeah. and that's that's a that's an essence of of any therapeutic work i would imagine particularly non non-dual therapy and uh, an openness yeah and openness very much depends on uh uh relaxation mm -hmm. so a kind of radical permission to be with whatever comes forward in any moment is very, very important, together with an encouragement of the body to relax. Uh, because if the physical body, literally the physical body of either the therapist or the client isn't relaxing, that openness isn't going to happen. You know, when, 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 when stress is uh, the, uh, the slave master, the mind contracts, we feel we're stupid, we feel we don't understand, uh, we stop feeling, we stop sensing. Uh, the, the, mind, the brain actually floods with chemicals which, uh, which are numb the ability to receive information, whether it's emotional or even love. So uh, relaxation is really a big deal, and relaxation means this, that the client should get the feeling 
and all of us should should can can rest in this that there is all the time and all the space uh, for whatever is emerging in any moment and even how, personal and how do you go about creating that spaciousness or that relaxation what you mentioned that there's a perhaps a setting of an intention or, a, or, or an approach and then a, a kind of getting out of the way as it were or putting aside your um personality or, or any agenda would you have anything to say about what's involved in yeah. in creating that that relaxation and facilitating that yeah so the place where we least tend to relax is in the here and now funnily enough we're very programmed out of the the here and now so the more we're able as uh, therapists or caregivers or just friends of each other to uh, learn to relax deeply in the present moment in the body and what do I mean in the body? It's not like we're separate from the body, but to relax unconditionally with the physical sensations in the body of whatever they are in any moment, because they're quite unstable. Mm -hmm. uh, breathe. Uh, of course, when we start off at the beginning giving therapy to other people, there's an ego structure involved with that. And uh, that ego structure is leaping forward all the time wanting to fix the other person wanting to close the story, wanting to take time and space away in order to, to, to perform well. Uh, it's a bit destructive in a way. So, so giving up of that, really giving up of that. And then what can happen is sometimes judgment starts showing up about the person. Like, oh, this is boring. Oh, they're an selfish asshole. This kind of thing can come forward too because that ego is fighting to kind of uh, get in between you. And so uh, also that is, uh, it's not a movement of pushing it away, but totally allowing it and not taking it serious at all. Uh, without a doubt, after 20 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes, without uh, jumping to conclusions about another human being of which we have no idea what's really happening in order they were exploring, uh, a picture begins to emerge and a channel opens where worthwhile pointers come through, often in the form of questions. The uh, not trying to fix or perhaps to say it more clearly that the being aware of that movement to try to fix or to resolve or uh, you know, to be a success very selfish to be a successful therapist <laughs> right and so it seems as i reflect in my own experience there's a great need to be <laughs> to be silent so there's that you know, really retaining the openness and, and curiosity as, as to what's about to be revealed. You know, it's mm -hmm. a stepping back into the into the not into the not knowing. I certainly see when sessions perhaps have the greatest fluidity or the greatest ease or the greatest that sort of quality of magic where stuff is said or stuff is seen that's just really helpful. It's, it's, it's when there's most relaxation here in my body and most openness about like, where is this going to go? You know, mm -hmm. no, uh, and if there is that movement to, to tie this little piece up in a nice pretty bow or, to, or to, for them to get the insight that I think they need to get, rather than staying open in the here and now and seeing what wants to unfold. So is, is that... Does that relate to your own experience at all? The sense of coming back very, into very, not knowing? 
Uh-huh. Yes, not knowing is uh, very, very important, uh, not just in therapy in general, the power of the I don't know, of uh, not needing to make conclusions, not moving with expectations, just staying open. The moment we know something, we close down. And we might know something and it's stored. The brain does its work anyway as information, but not as a conclusion, not as a verdict, not as a determination. But of course... When, when we are kind of, relate, you know, because we're not only talking about therapy, we're also talking about relating in general. Mm-hmm. So often you can imagine a situation where often the most forbidden and most needed uh, expression are the ones which are most difficult to receive. So uh, we and talked about the... As much space love. as possible. Yeah. So we talked about the, the danger of the, the difficulty of receiving love, but sometimes somebody might have been... Uh, forbidden and punished their whole life and internalize the mechanism about feeling anger or expressing anger or expressing uh, jealousy. You know, the mm-hmm. certain emotions which are collectively condemned and uh, denied. And uh, when your client or your friend or lover or whoever is finally feels safe enough to express anger towards you, to try and come into some kind of sense of a right to exist, uh, it becomes more important than ever to relax and open up and to not take it personal, to let it just move through you as an energy uh, and to stay connected, to ask questions. Uh, the permission to uh, feel anger, for example, is, is huge. You know, it, uh, we lo- when we lose our right to feel anger, we also lose our strength, our potency, our truth, our passion, uh, just because of a judgment. And, and set up an extraordinary, uh, potentially an extraordinary energy drain to to not feel an anger in the system that wants to be expressed. It takes a lot of energy to to sustain the repression of anger. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you think like, ang- anger is so, I mean, it's volcanic, it's so <laughs> powerful, and to, to keep a lid on that. Uh, and to lie about it, you know, like the classic <laughs> passive-aggressive, I'm not angry. You, know? <laughs> you can feel how it's even affecting the body, how it's affecting the pelvic area, how it's kind of squeezing uh, mm-hmm. the cells, the muscles, closing the heart, just by not being allowed to have an instinctive emotion. You know, if a dog is walking past our fence, our dog uh, will bark at it angrily and then the dog's gone and uh, everybody's happy again and next day you see them sitting down next to each other totally at peace because he was setting his boundaries it's a, it's a it's a form of communication as well it's never uh, says that you're bad or the other person is bad or that uh, uh, it's, that it's going to be there forever that forever there's going to be war it's an energy that moves through because something feels too uh, vulnerable in that moment Something really vulnerable has been touched, which leads to the release of this energy of anger. And it's setting a boundary. Give me time and space. The same thing again. Give me time and space so that I can digest what's happening in this pain, But in the best case scenario. It, it feels like you've touched on a couple of key essences, perhaps, of, of, of non-dual therapy. One, and, and I, I, I like this expanding just a general communication i mean wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if our general communication were a non-dual therapy were an ongoing expansion? it is actually it is right, actually right we are all responsible for each other just as if we were clients and therapists of each other so uh-huh. you know. 
really we're just not very really conscious of it right now <laughs> right and this uh this 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 inquiry of course is about bringing that into greater consciousness and greater understanding and, and insight and those two two things that you spoke to there which feel powerful one is to not take anything personally i think as easy in many situations very difficult if a partner for most of us i would imagine very difficult if a partner touches that place and then communicates mm. a great anger that can be challenging to just be oh, yeah so what so that's important to kind of like maybe uh refine that a little bit because to not take it personally means to uh not to deny it or to freeze the personality because the personality you know basically when somebody's angry at you especially your partner you're angry at them you get angry at the anger you're, you're, this is the natural res response of the psyche it's the natural movement but if we have space and time enough ourselves with anger then we can acknowledge that that moment before we, we get recruited to the anger field which is actually where we're hurt so you know let's say uh, bart says to me georgie you're totally a fat bitch yeah so it hits a place yeah he, he would never say that but let's say he did actually he might as a joke but anyway it, let's say it hits a place of pure pain so the way that's extremely personal it's totally intimately personal so it is personal but at the same time you don't need to take it as if the person is everything so the the movement is more it's not a freezer saying i don't have a personality it's more like saying oh that really hurts in part of my personality this really really is hurting somewhere so again being seen and allowing that to be spoken bringing it forth into the communication yeah. is 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 helpful yeah yeah yeah. You know, if we want to take things personally then we could be really become victims of abuse and uh yeah. okay so i'm hearing there that you're you're asserting the need for, for for boundaries or to express clearly when something is not okay or to speak to the pain that's being felt yeah yeah and the compassion is all you know compassion doesn't exclude our own personality so but we don't have to identify it with our own personality, our own psyche in, a, in an uh, absolute way. You know, I am not my psyche. So my psyche can scream with pain. But that doesn't mean that I'm dying. Mm -hmm. And I'm just talking about the physical level, even not touching the existential level. So also, you know, it's compassionate towards our own psyche to uh, acknowledge when it's wounded, to be vulnerable enough to admit that it hurts. And if somebody who hasn't been allowed to express anger is allowed to release that anger just once without repercussions, that means there's a chance they can touch that deeper pain. Mm -hmm. it, it, it finally gets a chance to uh, heal, to be spoken. It gets time and space. It gets that attention of consciousness. And it's all about the healing power of consciousness in the end. Yeah, I want, I want to come back to that because that feels, that feels huge, what you've just spoken to. The, the second thing around, so there was the not taking it personally, and you also spoke to allowing things to continue to flow, to allow energy to continue to move. And that seems to be a big piece of the, the spaciousness and the relaxation to allow anger to be felt to allow shame to be felt to allow sadness to be felt is, a, is an allowing of things to stay fluid to continue to move can you can you speak to that yeah yeah so things in naturalness are fluid and they get stuck somewhere uh, energetically 
and only now science is beginning to kind of uh, put go into this border between the physical and the psychological uh, in terms of energy one day they'll find something close to the biochemistry of the blood stress hormones all, all, all the subtle changes that happen with emotions which is uh, indicating the energetic blocks and contractions and issues which make up the psyche yeah in, so, in, yeah. in the west we're fairly restricted with what neurocardiology and some quantum mechanics and some other bits and pieces i i'm, I'm aware of some more edgy research in russia uh, epigenetic research that perhaps is starting to move in that direction you're talking about to really start to map the means by which that energy has biochemical and and genetic effects uh, yeah 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 so one of the first things to do uh, when somebody is, uh, something's not flowing anymore, and you can often tell that because they'll spin into the mind, and they'll, they'll distract with the mind, mm -hmm. is to uh, continuously bring them back to the felt sense. Mm -hmm. As much as they're able, even the felt sense of the busy mind or of the distraction, what's the feeling behind that? Mm -hmm. and, uh, but that's not enough, that's still floating. The felt sense will actually have a, if they're invited to explore it, it will have a location in the body or mm -hmm. around the body. So there can be a feeling of dread or something behind the back or, or, or a sense of being like strangled or a pain, a deep pain in the sternum. Or, and, and then there's a way of asking questions to, like, to, to go to the opposite side. So if, for example, if there's a, a block here, then you ask what's going on in the pelvic area and often they have no physical sensations there at all. Like I can't really feel it. I can't actually make a, a conscious connection with it at this moment. So there are layers to contractions and, uh, but they're very much uh, reflected in the body, which is amazing because those areas also later often become muscles, stressed muscles or, uh, and it works in both ways. If it's a good massage, you release emotions mm. or, or it can even become disease. You know, an overall, uh, and I don't want to be too, because there's a lot of other factors in disease as well, mm -hmm. uh, environmental factors, but there is a relation between where we're contracting our psychological energy and where disease begins to uh, show up, Absolutely. which is the body's way of working out the psychological issues. Often, It takes on the job. Yeah, this is, uh, was, was a key insight in my own journey to recognize that the physical manifestation was and it's a slight twist to see it not just as a consequence of psychological tension, but as a pathway into the resolution of that psychological tension, you know? So there's the sort of deep gift or the deep opportunity of the physical manifestation. But I know, and I think as you imply, that's a, there's, there's, there's a degree of complexity around physical manifestation and there's also perhaps a degree of readiness in each individual as to how much responsibility they're willing to take around that and indeed how much capacity they have as you were speaking of going into the body developing that somatic sense and um, what have you found is most helpful when you're working with someone who perhaps has great difficulty dropping out of the mental body and bringing awareness into the felt sense into the yeah. somatic yeah. experience yes yeah. so for me and I, I don't know if this is the way it has to be but for me i'm very uh, hands-off mm. uh and natural like I, I it's almost like friendly conversations uh but without uh too much interference uh you know I, this is part of releasing a agenda so if somebody is very much uh 
going off on one, telling endless stories. Uh, the art is kind of to really, 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 really open up the listening, really listen, really be in the here and now. Totally let the stories finally be heard. And, and then what often happens is they become self-conscious. Mm-hmm. Right. They'll ask me what I'm feeling. And then I'll ask them to feel the atmosphere of the story. And, you know, maybe for a few seconds, they're feeling a feeling and then they're back again. But it's okay. Mm-hmm. Because often people that talk a lot haven't been allowed to express themselves. It's the same thing again. It's important for them to have the total permission. And if we're fully present, they feel at a certain stage, I'm wasting my time. Uh-huh. They see the non-directionality or the, or the dead end of the, of the wittering. Or, yeah, you know, the I, insecurity beneath the endless talk becomes apparent in the sense that it stops them and that becomes the the next step uh-huh. so that so that is then felt almost sort of brings it brings up what yeah, it was actually exactly. trying to obscure and, and keep out exactly. of the way and hands off that was an interesting expression um that suggests and i think my understanding is correct that you don't i mean yes it's literally hands off because of course one yeah. way if someone is having difficulty accessing the physicality is to engage in physical touch but i, I imagine that's not usually available with a conventional therapeutic model uh oh uh if if it's a face-to-face meeting and not online right uh, actually even online i get them to touch themselves to like right. um, contact the body because you can see so much of the attitude of consciousness by how somebody is touching themselves right. and just reflect that back you know if they're kind of like you yeah. know, beating themselves up then then you can already bring awareness to that and uh, and have them experiment with a different way to touch their body to touch it with care to feel the bliss in their own touch for example i love that there's there's such a sweetness and an immediacy and a profundity with self-touch we often play with um my, my friends and i and in groups with 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 self-hugging and I, I love the insight that you're pointing to there that it can reveal when yeah. you know, h- how readily and how someone will come into contact with their own physicality very very revealing it seems that there's, there's something there that's connected to the receiving of love you know because essentially if we're if we're cuddling ourselves or if we're caressing ourselves we're we're giving ourselves love we're giving our physicality care yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, of course when there's an actual physical session we can actually but but especially but i will do it too and the students will do it too is, is we actually engage in spiritual healing so then somebody lies down, it's like a kind of uh, energetic massage mm-hmm. in a way. That's to do with very light touch, maybe not even necessarily on the body and balancing two sides of a polarity, but different opening different areas. Uh, you can, you know, it, 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 the amazing thing about this is that it's entirely possible, and I believe it's true, that uh, emotions and uh, feelings and f- contractions and, and repressions of emotions and feelings has an energetic density. And because it has an energetic reality, it's not just in the head, you can actually interact with it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to even go through the mind. It doesn't have to actually have to go through the story. It can actually, you can give the love without the embarrassment in a way. Mm-hmm. And that's another really powerful piece. Is, is, is that not perhaps the turbocharge aspect of or, or the evolutionary aspect of non-dual therapy is that you don't need to go into the story so yes. much. You can really be more in the energetic 
sensation in the flow of the energy and the movement of the actual uh, the movement of consciousness itself and you mm -hmm. spoke to something earlier which i wanted to come back to but whilst we still have time because it feels even juicier and more profound and juicier than, and and, and uh, significant than, than this and that was around the attention of consciousness and the power of the attention of consciousness that the the the, the the power of simply bringing awareness to sensation yes. or to contraction. Can you, can you speak to the role yeah. of that simple but essential aspect to non-dual yeah. So it's really interesting because in, in many of the schools of psychology, the way it's evolved, you know, they won't admit that consciousness is anything other than the effect of the brain, the kind of materialistic, at least, uh, out outlook is very much not recognizing the healing power of consciousness at the same time that all psychology and all therapeutic techniques recruit consciousness they absolutely depend even mm, conventional doctors you know we go to we, we feel ill we go to a doctor he gives us attention we feel better <laughs> sometimes we don't even need a treatment so we're very double in this in terms of our software of suffering. On the one hand, we utterly crave this and we know it. And it's, it's unquestionable that consciousness has a healing effect. On the other hand, uh, it's somehow radical to talk about the healing power of consciousness. Because if, healing, if, if consciousness has a healing power, then even just touch is a healer. And every mother knows that. You asked about motherhood. You know, when a kid hit, hurts themselves, if you just put your hand on their, on their, on their pain, it feels better. The pain, the, the, there's an enormous reduction of pain, which by itself has medical consequences. So when we allow our consciousness to, or uh, in a sense, even better, first it's our consciousness, then it's our kind of loving awareness to uh, meet uh, our areas of pain and suffering, inner pain and suffering, uh, there's a kind of reunion that happens. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like it's the areas of pain, like, for example, shame, the, the agony of shame. It's really an agony. Uh, just with uh, the, the, the presence of awareness, it's like bits of sand start to flow off this rock in, and return to the wind of, of, of this awareness. And most specifically, the effect is this kind of reunion with purity mm -hmm. uh, in the case of shame, for example, in that contraction. So... In a way, you could say that, you know, the re what is the psyche made of? It's a series of contractions, and, and what's contracted is consciousness, which has certain qualities, which is kind of uh, uh, connected with our true nature. And so spiritual travelers awaken partly to the quality of consciousness which, where they have been enslaved. So some will just say everything is love, all is love, love is everywhere. Some will say everything is light, light is everywhere. Some will be on the peace trip, everything is peace. Some will be teachers of freedom. Each one is taking a different quality of consciousness. Some will talk about gratitude. And that's a whole school in itself. What's gratitude? It's the universal goodness of all that is. Uh, benevolence, in a way, not in opposition to that. And uh, so... These are qualities of consciousness. So part of what we do, do in the non-dual therapy and in this book is to try and explore more deeply these qualities. Because it's not only that consciousness itself is healing, there are specific resonances of consciousness which invites certain contractions to unfold. Let's give an example, you know, innocence. You know, when we, 
most of us are born with a blockage, energetic blockage of guilt. It's inherited because because mm-hmm. we ate the the fruit in the in the Garden yes. of Eden, and you know we're thrown out of Eden and we're all condemned, and we pass it from fathers to sons and daughters and mothers and onwards. Mm-hmm. So we're all born guilty before we ever did a thing. And uh, at a certain stage, the world on the outside, the lived experience, confirms this guilt. And mummy says you're bad. You know you wet the bed or whatever. You know there is this uh, affirmation of the guilt, and and then we go into this program of the of the binary mind where we believe that if we're guilty we can no longer be innocent so we lose this quality of innocence we lose the felt sense of it so much so that when there's innocence around the guilt begins to scream you know we feel bad it makes us feel bad you know or dirty or wrong or not good enough uh so what guilt is asking for and it's other decided the duality is accusation accusing the world accusing others so what it's asking for is innocence it wants to return to innocence the innocence of which it's made it's made of frozen innocence so that's kind of the guilt is made of frozen innocence that just really powerfully evokes that sense that the innocence the resolution is actually at the core of the tension the core of the problem so the, so the, the guilt or the shame and i know you'd probably make a distinction between the two but let's say it's guilt through the guilt is the pathway to, or in the, in the, in the exactly. resonance of the guilt to the innocence, to the rediscovery. Yeah. So, so when we move towards our body in that moment, if we move with uh, the innocence of consciousness, it's got a particular vibration, then uh, it's going to start meeting the guilt. It's like the puppies coming home to their mummy. You know what I mean? It's like a, a, an iceberg in, in warm water. It starts to kind of dissolve. And uh, so the consciousness with which we contact ourselves, whether it's physically or energetically or just with our mind, has a certain attitude on it. And that attitude has an energetic vibration. So to be able to start working like this, and people learn very quickly because it's quite natural to kind of, it's like a kind of redemption process of true nature. So it's necessary, first of all, to step out of this bipartisan, uh, binary mind that says it's either guilty or innocent and to allow that it's possible to be innocent and guilty at the same time and that innocence is the real deal and that guilty doesn't take away our innocence so there's an allowing of the simultaneity of apparent contradiction arising it can be recognized the deeper source the, deeper source. Right. the innocence is the deeper source outside of duality and uh, it's just frozen up as guilt and what's more, this guilt isn't even separate from the guilt of everybody else on the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, and we inherited it, you know? Right, there's the not personal bit, right? It's like, okay, so the guilt is being experienced in this body now, but it's not really anything to do with me. It's not mine. It's, it's, it's yeah. an aspect of consciousness. It's an aspect yeah. of the collective unfolding. Yes, it, exactly. It, it seems that our... If I'm hearing you correctly, it certainly would, maybe, maybe I'm just speaking to my experience, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts that our capacity in therapy or our capacity to be bringing that relaxation and to be facilitating that spaciousness, we first have to, uh, not to say that it's not an ongoing process also, but we first have to come into contact with our pains we have to give presence to whether with partnership with another or or in our own sitting to bring awareness to all of our 
discomforts and aches and pains and wounds and uh, and, and and so on and yes. i'm hearing that the, the 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 taking the role of therapist is to is to quicken that deepen that process for ourselves as well to take on that role is to is to facilitate ourselves as well as those who we're working with yeah so it's really important what you said is that you take on the role of therapist. It's because it's, it's, that gives some freedom in, in the dance of life, that you're just taking on a role. And uh, within this role, within this, this act, this play, this facilitation, it's then possible to really begin to deeply understand and allow the uh, uh, fact that we're not separate, also as therapists, which means that we can ask the universe or God or our ancestors or whoever is beyond me, mm-hmm. my to bring the resources as needed. We can ask for peace. You can feel this person really needs peace. So if I believe that I am the, I am the one who's going to give them this peace, it's a lost deal. It's almost oppressive. But to invite peace into the field between us is a whole different movement and it can come or not. And sometimes it comes later, not sooner, and sometimes it's suddenly there and takes you by surprise. But we're not, we're not, we're not anything other than a channel. Mm-hmm. Also, the client is just a channel. Right, and the recognition of, you, you touched on it briefly earlier, one of the big impediments in, in culture, let alone within psychology and therapy itself, is this belief that the physical world is primary or that we're primarily physical beings. Yes. But in the recognition of the primacy of consciousness or the oneness of consciousness or the, or the essence of consciousness, it becomes very easy and natural that we can call in or invite in aspects of that infinite and eternal to serve this becoming more conscious consciousness in this, in this process. And it's... Uh, and of course, that's a movement often of uh, your will, not mine. A surrender uh, of the individual will. Uh-huh. Uh, because, you know, we can't invite... Uh, like a shopping list, I want to be healthy, I want to be happy, I want to have any pain, and I want you know, to find my, my dog that got lost. It doesn't work like that, there's a deeper intelligence. And, and another it's a way handing to over. You have to be at peace with suffering as yeah. an evolution. Yeah, yeah, a, a handing over and a trusting in the suffering, in the pains that are presenting, you know, as you've elucidated rather nicely, that to trust that that guilt is somehow functional in order to reveal the innocence that it was obscuring or that that physical manifestation is somehow functional to bring that tension into awareness, into consciousness. You know, even let's give a really simple example, just right there, you know, how would any of this information in the book have ever been available to be of service, to be used, any of these insights, if we had not suffered it? Mm-hmm down to the details of the unfolding of different uh, communal afflictions like shame, guilt, uh, uh, sense of abuse, uh, a sense of slavery, a sense of good versus evil. We wouldn't be able to be of service to each other. It would become abstract if we weren't able to, if we hadn't uh, agreed to experience the process. Mm-hmm. And then the process of one becomes a tool, a facilitator, a, a, a support in the process of somebody else. Yeah. And in this way, we're really evolving together in an interdependent uh, way. Uh, so in some ways, you know, non-dual therapy is another a total paradigm shift out of regular psychology. 
because it really rests on this belief uh, of non-separation, of interdependency, of collective evolution, really of non-separation. So there's differentiation, but ultimately separation, separate existence, it's, it's been seen as unreal. Right. And after that first experience of being seen, and then of course it becomes so obvious. How could we think that our bodies are separate from the planet, even though they're made of all the same microbes and the same forces of gravity and everything? How could we think that we're separate from our ancestors? Where the hell did we come from? Even a materialist, how can they think that they're separate from their mother and father? Mm-hmm. In an absolute way. You know, and it goes on. How can we think that we're ultimately separate from the other sex? From that males are ultimately separate from females. This is uh, there would be no creation if that was the case. Mm-hmm. No new babies would be born. <laughs> and, it, and, and how could we think that we were separate from our source, however we conceive that to be yes. consciousness? How could, how could life believe itself? How did we get to be living creatures that believe that we're separate from life? Mm-hmm. That's exactly the psychic split. Right. And I love the framing that you offer us of the paradigm shift of non-dual therapy, of really bringing together much deep insight of consciousness itself into knowing itself through quantum mechanics, through direct experience, through meditation and whatever else. And it feels... Through everything. Mm-hmm. And, and it's amazing that when the universe is knowing itself, it doesn't mind if there's experiences of self-destruction or spiritual enlightenment or boredom. Uh, it has an incredible, unconditional... Uh, uh, what's the word? Welcoming or allowing. All and love for all yeah. experience. Love, is the word. This is the equanimity. Mm-hmm. It doesn't compare and measure one experience against another. So that makes it for me a little bit kind of uh, not that uh, uh, enticing when people try to say, I'm better than you, or you're better than me, and you're enlightened, and you're awakened, and only me, I'm not awakened. All of this rubbish. It's mm-hmm. really not how things move. Mm-hmm. According to direct experience, all we have to do is experience how it is to be alive right here, right now. There's no measurement. Measurement is bullshit. (laughs) That feels like a a really sweet space to come to conclusion. I could, uh, I feel we've just begun the dialogue and yet we try and keep our conversations to within a a bite-sized hour. But I really love that piece of just being here now with our experience, just being present with our experience. I want to ensure that people have the opportunity to connect with you further, George. I know you've got a few websites and a few offerings around the place. The IamHere.life website is the primary one. There's a few others and we'll put those down, including non-dualtherapy.life and we'll put those down on the notes on uh, Podbean and wherever else we release the podcast. But uh, I am here, www.iamhere.life is the uh, port of call to connect with you. Killer web address. Isn't Killer it? Great. Absolutely. <laughs> and people can email you from there. People can contact you from yeah. there, presumably. Yeah. Are there any other sort of like current projects or other outlets that you want to, to, to share with viewers at this uh, point? I, I, I just have, you know, I could go into self-promotion here, but I'm not going to bother because that's all online. But there is something which is really, really close to my heart. And that is that many, many people hold back from being of service to each other, of reaching out and really being there for each other out of a kind of false sense of ego that they're not ready yet, that they don't have what to offer. And instead they begin then to criticize others who are trying to make a difference, like 
like you, like me, like uh, many, many teachers out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really, really, really a shame. Every single person is of service here. And uh, that includes being of service to each other. Everybody is a channel of the same love, peace, unity, freedom in different ways. Just by agreeing to be here, we are able to advance in a compassionate way the evolution of all of us. Mm. And it's immediately fulfilling. You know, they did a test on on rats and they, they found that rats naturally, if one rat is enslaved in a cage, the other rats will naturally try and get him out of the box. And they tested the rats and they saw that uh, the reward chemical, the happiness of the rats, because they were able to free the one rat in the box, uh, went up dramatically, immensely. And there's a sad side to the story because after that, you know, it's, I don't agree with testing on animals, but it does reveal something. After that, they gave the rats antidepressants. And then, and I'm not totally against antidepressants as an emergency measure, but with the effect of antidepressants on the rats, they didn't care anymore about the uh, rat that was in a cage and the happiness levels went down. So let's be like the rats, you know, let's return to true nature and really be compassionate towards each other wherever there's an opportunity and towards us. I I love that, Georgie. There's a Verve song that just came into my consciousness from many years ago that talked about numbing the pain but killing the joy. The drugs don't work. They numb the pain and kill the joy. And it feels that that's, uh, you know, to feel the pain is necessary and a key part of our our healing and and our integration. Yes, yes. Georgie, thank you for thank you, joining us today. It's been a joy to communicate with you, and I'm sure our listeners and viewers will will get a huge amount from it. I look forward to further play with, with Love and Truth Party. Yes. To, to our listeners, if you've enjoyed this production and would like to support the creation of more similar programming and feel resonance with the call to be of service uh, to an emergent human culture, please join us. You can download love letters. You can sign up for our newsletter. Of course, like and follow on Facebook. Of course, you can find Georgie on Facebook as well. Uh, And we're also on Twitter and Instagram. And you may even consider a financial gift at loveandtruthparty.org. Thank you to all of our supporters and contributors. Together, we are creating kind, conscious, courageous human community.